everyone, this is Eliza Kelly and welcome back to Stars Like Us. I am here today with Rachel Ricketts, who is a Virgo sun, a Gemini moon, a Taurus rising. Rachel is a racial justice educator and a spiritual activist. And I'm so excited to talk to you. I'm so excited to get to know you and your work and for our listeners to get to know you and your work, because in 2021, we are, I hope that we are all going to take a page literally from your book, which is the perfect title, Do Better, Spiritual Activism, Fighting and Healing from White Supremacy. I can't wait to, to talk to you today. Thank you so much for having me. So tell us a little bit about your journey, how you became the Rachel that I am connecting with today, and what does it mean to be a racial justice educator and a spiritual activist? Yeah, um, there's no short answer. We have time. <laughs> to this. And um, so I always say, you know, this work started from before I came out of the womb, it started from me and my mother's womb and all of my ancestors. Um, and I really feel strongly that this work is why I'm here. It's, it's work for sure, but it's my purpose and why I decided to come into this earthly body and be on this planet at this time. Um, this obviously very critical, transformative time. So the work I do is around dismantling white supremacy, um, which for me is dismantling all forms of oppression um, and supporting everybody, but specifically black and indigenous um, women, femmes and femme passing folks in liberation, which is the means towards collective liberation. So I came to this work um, by being a queer multiracial black woman in this body and constantly enduring um, oppression based on race and gender identity and various other aspects of um, my lived body, bodily experience and really feeling a deep need for justice. So I began that work as an attorney um, and, and very promptly found out that um, the law has nothing to do with justice. <laughs> oh, wow. That's really a, I feel like we can, that is alone a statement that could be sort of ruminated on for many, many hours. Yeah. Yeah. My first year of law school is one of my most um, depressing years of my life and, and challenging years. And um, doing all of that again, occupying this black female body and um, being raised as the only child of a single mother who was um, also a black female and chronically ill and disabled. So having early interactions with the settler state, with the white supremacist colonialist government that is ableist, that is racist, that is misogynist, that is oppressive in all forms. So again, really reifying my deep need for justice personally for myself and for those that I love. And um, I've always been a deeply spiritual person and spirituality runs quite deeply in my family, secular spirituality. So not in a religious sense, but in a sense of being connected to the stars, to the universe, to something bigger than us, and also just being connected to each other. Um, so that's kind of the, the background of how I really um, culminated and pieced together a whole bunch of different aspects of myself and of my personal and professional background and ultimately that resulted in this work that is spiritual activism that is fusing racial justice education, anti-oppression work with secular spirituality because I deeply believe that this work needs to be done from the inside out, not just from the neck up. This isn't just stuff that we learn in a book and walk away from. It's work that we need to embody, that we need to understand fulsomely from our heart space, from our gut so that we can actually create critical collective change that's desperately needed. 
I'm very struck already by so many of the things that you said, so many of the things that I personally relate to and then also don't relate to at all. Um, I'm also the only child of a woman who was chronically sick, uh, chronically disabled. We had, you know, we grew up on, I grew up on with a lot of government support. And that really has informed and shaped my perception of kindness and empathy and and also the responsibilities of the government. But my mom nor myself are Black. And I think that that's also a really important distinction that I have also been trying to learn over, you know, in this work. But as I grow up, as I become more aware, as I have more conversations, as I unlearn and try to integrate a deeper understanding of things into my life is that there are commonalities that people can experience, but there are also these major cataclysmic differences, right? It's very different for me to have similar a similar story in some ways, but then a completely different story in other ways. Something that I've been really struck by this year, or I should say last year in 2020, was recognizing that empathy isn't enough. And empathy isn't enough to be able to do this work. And I'm curious if you know, how you have found empathy to be something that is productive or also be something that is, um, I don't know, that is almost like a different form of bypassing. Mm. It's interesting too, because I'm such a, as a, like, as a writer and just, I don't know, as a Virgo, someone who's such a stickler for words. And like, we all, even though we're both speaking English, like everyone has such a different context for the words that they use. So I'm always very um, cognizant of that. But um, for me, I find empathy to be something that doesn't motivate action. It actually can result in stagnancy. So it can be more about pity. I just don't feel like it embodies a way to fulsomely call yourself into the reality of what is and into um, how you partake in it, perpetuate it, and can, can contribute to like the bettering of it. Um, and so for me, that's compassion, which is really to, to be in it with someone, um, which again, for me in a spiritual sense is like to have the understanding that like your oppression is my oppression, even though we're having incredibly different experiences. So that's not this like, we are all one spiritual bypassing bullshit rhetoric, because I do believe we are all one and we are having very different experiences at the same time. So we need to be able to honor and recognize and acknowledge both of those things. So for me, it's more about compassion than it is about empathy. And I know that there are some neurological studies that have done some emotional, I guess, research around the difference between empathy and compassion in the brain. And um, from what I understand, have, have come to an understanding that compassion allows us to move more into action and change than empathy. Empathy can result in us being a little bit more stuck. Like, oh, I feel that that must be so hard for you, right? As though we're separate. But compassion is like, okay, I am going to do my best to feel this with you and also have an understanding of like how I'm involved in that. Because my oppression as a Black person has everything to do with, with white people and their experiences and everything else. They're not separate. So I think it's important to have that distinction. Yeah, I really appreciate that as a, you know, being really cognizant and really thoughtful about the way that you know, what, what we're trying to convey, the words that we're using to try to convey those things, and also recognizing like, you know, where does just sort of like being like, uh uh-huh, like actually become really patronizing and really unproductive. Um, Something that I think 2020 has been, I mean, it's been a, it's been a very unusual and tremendous year in a lot of ways. And one of the things that I 
found as a spiritual practitioner myself is how much I had to, how many people I had to unfollow, how many (laughs) conversations I just would observe, you know, in comments. And I was just horrified by, I think that it really exposed a lot of the limitations of the spiritual community and how much needs to happen within astrologers, you know, mystics, practitioners of all varieties in order to really start to be more grounded in reality because spirituality without activism is really just bigotry to me. It's it's starting to seem like. Absolutely. If you can't apply the spiritual goodness that you are acquiring and you're hoarding it, then like, what's the difference between that and colonialism? You know, when you really just start to crawl up that rope, it kind of all starts to look the same, which means that things need to start to be really different. Yeah. I talk about this a lot in the book. I mean, most of the book is about this and I talk about intersectional spirituality and what it means to be spiritual to me. And um, the reason that I call, I mean, there's many reasons why I call the work I do spiritual activism. And part of them is even if you don't consider yourself to be a spiritual person, it's that understanding of our deep connection to one another as folks who are in humanly bodies. So if you call you do call yourself and resonate as someone who is a spiritual person and you don't partake in politics, you know, or aren't acknowledging and identifying your power and privilege and spending that and doing your best to end oppression in all forms, I'm just unclear about what the fuck your spirituality is about. What is it actually about? Because to me, the root of it is the fact that we are all connected and like my freedom is your freedom and vice versa. And I'm here to support all of us be liberated and all of us have access to being our highest best selves. Isn't that what we're fucking here for? And if that's right. not what we're here for, and sure, maybe not everyone's going to agree with me on that. I just truly don't believe that you can be a spiritual person if you're not partaking in activism. The personal is political. Every single choice you make or choose not to make is a choice, has impact, has consequence. And then talk about this a lot, impact over intention. So we really need to be having a clearer understanding about like, yeah, what spirituality is, what it isn't. There's a a shit ton of spiritual bypassing um, that's been happening in rampant for years, especially in white spiritual circles. Um, And it's violent. It's just straight up violent in, in every sense of the word. And it needs to stop. It needs to stop. So for our listeners who, because I mean, I know I'm a little bit biased, but I think that if you're listening to this podcast, you've heard the way that you know, you've heard the guests that we bring on, you've heard the conversations that we have. Hopefully like this is not, this episode is not going to come as a big shock to anybody. I hope that if you're listening to this, you're curious of how to make sure that um, the people that you follow, the, the advice, the spiritual advice and the practitioners that you're working with are, have solid ethics and solid integrity that you can, that align with your values and what you care about giving all of our listeners the be- the biggest benefit of the doubt because i believe that they have the you know the best intentions so in your experience rachel what have you seen as sort of like red flags of somebody who is just clearly like either actively uh being an a- serving as an oppressor or somebody who is passively and then therefore actively serving as an oppressor what are some of like the key examples of that you don't have to name names unless you want to of yeah. which we can see. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So a couple of things. One, um, having good intentions is great. 
um, but it's not enough. So I don't really give a fuck about people's intentions to talk about this in the book. FYI, fuck your intentions. I care about what your impact is. And that's really the, like the, the space that we need to be operating from, especially people who hold the most power and privilege, which is white people. So you can have all the best intentions in the whole world and be causing fucking violent harm every single day. And that's what you need to be sitting with and le leaning into and acknowledging. And that's where the work really starts. And that's why it requires you to do inner work for you to even have an understanding of that and to be able to tolerate it. We're past having good intentions. It's 2021. We're fucking past it. So being active and, and ensuring that the folks that you um, follow and look up to, that you um, are learning from, that guide you are not one color and one race, not predominantly white. Are they appropriating the cultural roots of the practices that they are sharing with you or pretending to be a leader in, and that is absolutely rampant. Are they honoring the roots of the culture and the community and the race of the people who created the practice that they are sharing with you, that they are profiting off of? Are they inclusive to all, all abilities, all races, all gender identities, all sexual orientations, all classes, all economic folks? I could go on, but for the most part, the wellness, the spirituality, I call it uh, wealth and hellness, the spirituality spaces that we occupy, that we follow, that we admire are fucking problematic. They're whitewashed, they're appropriative. They in no way, shape or form honor the roots of even sometimes the actual practice. Like there's a lot of shit out there that's called yoga that is not fucking yoga, it has nothing to do with yoga. It's, it's body movement. And sure, maybe that's helpful. That's cool, but call it what it is because it's not yoga. Also, yoga is not just physical asanas. There's eight limbs of yoga. Do you even know that? Do you even have an understanding of what that is? Are you actually honoring the roots of the practice that you are making money off of and where it came from and the communities that created and cultivated that practice so that you could honor it and partake, or you're not honoring it, but that you could partake in it today? Do you have any idea? And I don't just mean like flying to India and going to an ashram for a month to learn shit from people and then bringing it back here so that you can charge everyone $100 a person because you're, again, not acknowledging your power and privilege. Yeah, it's going to be a slow and steady process to unpack that from so many generations of, of appropriation, right? People need to be very... Uh, present in this process. It can't be something that is passive in any capacity because it requires that much sort of unrolling, unraveling and redefining. And also I would say like acknowledging um, there's a definitely like a, a major humility that needs to come from the work that you, got, you are proposing. And I think with really good and like well-deserved fucking reason, like everything needs to be reconsidered. And it needs to be reconsidered very actively. And it's, it can't be convenient, you know? Yeah. It has to be something that is, is ritualized almost, um, where it really is like every day, you know, in addition to eating and showering and brushing your teeth and doing these things, that these are thoughts that are also, you know, being integrated into our life. Yeah. And again, this is why the work is internal for me because the, the, what is needed, what I deeply believe is needed is a complete and utter overhaul of everything as we've ever known it. And what some people call everything that never worked right in the first place. 
right? Because the status quo is oppressive. The status quo is capitalist, it's exploitative, it's extractive. So it totally makes sense, especially if you're someone who occupies an identity with the most power and privilege. So it totally makes sense that that would be like your MO and the way that you operate from and that's just normal for you because that's normal in the society that we collectively live in, the society that we collectively live in. And of course, there's cultures and, and, and various differences across like, you know, imagined borders and things of that, of that nature. However, just as a global collective community, the world we live in is capitalist, white supremacist, racist, misogynist, ableist, you know, classist, op oppressive across the board. And one of the things that 2020 allowed more clear vision for, for a lot of folks, especially those who have the most power and privilege, racially or otherwise, is an awakening to that reality in a deeper way, which is wonderful and necessary, of course, and also can be incredibly frustrating as someone who occupies an identity that has been made most marginalized my entire life, you know, because I have, it's not something that I could just awaken to in the year 2020. I have lived it my entire life. And that's not to say that people, Black, Indigenous, or people of color are not willfully shadowing themselves from this because it's incredibly painful work. And so I talk about this a lot in, in my book and in my work. All of this work is like you said, like a, a complete and utter reintegration um, from the inside out. And this is trauma work and it's grief work for everybody, for everybody. And again, that's for me also why it's so key to have this spiritual component because that allows us to connect with each other in something bigger than ourselves so that we can hold on to that as we move through some of the fucking hardest work you'll ever do. This is shadow work. It's ego work. It's taking your rose club rose-colored lenses off and really seeing shit the way that it really is, seeing yourself and the way that you have caused harm and towards others, towards yourself, not easy. So I also completely understand why so many people want nothing to do with it. You know, especially if you have the most power and privilege, it's just like really a lot easier to like be over here in my, in my home with my folks and things are going well and I don't really need to um, invite in um, the ways in which I cause harm or see the impact or consequence of the ways in which I perpetuate white supremacy, which for the record, everybody does, right? On a scale, um, on a spectrum. So, because it's the status quo of society. So how can we um, expand our tolerance for discomfort? How can we lean into spiritual tools in a way that honors the cultures that cultivated them? And most of the cultures that cultivated them are black indigenous and POC cultures. Why? Because we've been fucking oppressed and discriminated and marginalized for centuries. This is how we survived. This is how we survived. That's why we know that this shit works. We wouldn't be here if we weren't resilient, if we didn't have something that we could cling to. We wouldn't be here. And I think also what a lot of white people need to have an understanding of is like, y'all have no fucking clue. You have no idea what it's like to exist in a body that is constantly oppressed and to be born from bodies that were constantly oppressed. I, in unpacking all of my healing work, am not only doing this work for myself in the year 2021, in my own body, trying to unpack all the trauma I have experienced in this earthly body, but that requires me to also unpack the trauma that my family experienced, that all my ancestors experienced. And as a spiritual person, that also means tapping into like my wounded spirits and ancestors that are still, you know, stuck in the trauma that they experienced over 400 fucking years. It's, it's actually unfathomable, truly, truly. And so the fact that we actually have these tools to be able to 
move through, to persist, to sustain, to overcome is such a fucking gift. And I can't tell you how, how upsetting, how violent, how heartbreaking it is um, for those tools to be disconnected from their root and to be appropriated and used for financial and capital gain and really for like spiritual clout. And I'm putting that in quotations because like there's no such thing. There's a lot of folks who call themselves spiritual who don't even know what spirituality really means. We need to be way more discerning about who we are looking to, how we engage in everything, spiritual or otherwise, with ourselves, with others, um, with the practices that we are looking to utilize to support ourselves, and how we seek to overcome. Like, are we just doing this in an individualistic way, which most of us are because that's what we've been taught? Again, that's also a product of white supremacist, capitalist, misogynist, ableist society. Like, we won't get anywhere in terms of justice, healing, trauma work, none of it without community care, without collective care. And again, 2020 coming in and still in 2021, we're seeing this more and more and more and more. We can't get through this shit without each other. One person continues to have COVID-19 in the world. It is a problem for the whole fucking world, the whole world. And that has always been true. It's just that we've been able to get away with ignoring it for long enough, especially those people who have the most power and privilege. And that is beginning to change. Yeah, I, I really do feel very optimistic about moving into 2021. You know, I think that for those people who have had the privilege of not having to be aware of these things prior to 2020, hopefully that motion, that desire, that inclination to um, want to do better is going to actually lead to change, awareness, involvement in the things that make a difference. And I, you know, on the time of this recording, we saw a tremendous transformation happen in the United States as led by the Black community in Georgia. And I feel like it really does. I mean, I'm hopeful that this is going to be able to catalyze hope you know, a, a, something that is tangible that we could see, like, no, should we make real efforts to change things? Change can happen. Um, and it can happen really fast. This isn't something, I mean, obviously the work of needing to address hundreds and hundreds of years of oppression, both as the oppressor and as the oppressed, is not something that's going to happen overnight, not something that's going to be accomplished in anyone's lifetime today. But to know that there are things that can change and that we can really see that transformation, I think is really inspiring. And I hope that as we move into 2021 and as we move into future years, that that momentum is going to carry over and it's going to snowball and we can continue to perpetuate and build on itself and turn that, you know, fuck your intentions, turn those like bullshit performative gestures into something that is really meaningful. And that really can change the way that our society is structured, the way we think about society. And I do think that so much of, you know, everything is microcosm, macrocosm. And I think that the spiritual community and what has become so clear within the spiritual community, specifically in 2020, but, you know, as you said, has been going on for so many decades, is, is a microcosm to the macrocosm, which is just the extent, the, just the extensive appropriation, the extensive disregard for the original cultures, the original people who were, of course, also persecuted and oppressed mm -hmm. for the practices that then white people profit yes. from. And 
as you know, for those listeners who are like, where do I even begin? I feel like, you know, having the microcosm of the spiritual community as a symbol of what's going on in the world, anything that's happening within the spiritual sector is what's going on in the world. So focusing here and really exploring like, well, you know, what's kind of what's fucked up that's going on within this realm? You know, it's it's a basically a portal into being mm-hmm. able to under. Of course, it has to be like a metaphysical world. <laughs> it's, it's a portal into what's going on in the rest of in the rest of the realm. You know, right. it's a portal yeah. into everything Absolutely. else. So the yeah. problems that we see on the microcosm, even the microcosms of Instagram, is mm-hmm. is is just a yeah. tiny little fraction of what reality <laughs> looks like. Yeah. And I would say I also too hold hope. Like I couldn't do this work if I didn't hold hope, but it's also really rooted and grounded in the truth of my lived experience at multiple intersections of um, an oppressed identity. Right. And so I hold hope, but that hope has to include work and that hope has to have an acknowledgement for the power and privilege that we possess. Because when I hear white people talk about hope, I get cringy because a lot of times that is used then to do nothing. That's used to like rest your laurels. That's like Um, And this has already happened, right? Joe Biden is president elect and people are already going back to brunch. Like we're good now. Trump was a blip. It was four years. It's over. No, absolutely not. Um, Trump was never the problem, right? He was a consequence and a symptom of something that has been around for centuries. And Trumpism and all of the roots of Trump and Trumpism isn't going anywhere. It isn't going anywhere. So again, that's why this work needs to be done from the inside out. Yes, 2020 was a year that a lot of people were awakened, although it's really been distressing to see the ways in which, you know, that performative black square moment in June and all of the white guilt and all of the pouring out and also demands on black folks, including my time for education and admonishment and like really wanting to feel good and right, which I talk about a lot. Um, more than you want to actually do the work and actually create justice and equity. You just want to be seen as good and right and feel good and right, which is inner work y'all need to do. You know, within six months, that kind of like fell apart, that that chutzpah that came from that moment, right? And this isn't a moment, it's a movement. It's been going on for hundreds of years. I am not saying anything new. I'm not saying anything that my ancestors haven't said. So the fact that this is an awakening, the fact that this is new to a lot of people is honestly um, pretty bullshit. But we also have to contend with the reality of where we're at. So I hold hope, but um, that is going to require a lot of people, especially the people who hold the most power and privilege, the white, the cis, the wealthy, the able-bodied, the neurotypical, et cetera, to do their work from the inside out. And everything has to change. Every power system, every power dynamic as we currently know it will need to shift in order for actual justice and equity to be brought about. And if we're not centering Black and Indigenous liberation and all of the work that we're doing, then it's not about justice. Because when Black and Indigenous people can be free, can be liberated wholesomely, not just in America, not just in Canada, around the world, then we all collectively have moved and advanced our um, humanity forward. We're seeing that again, time and time again in the United States in terms of how we can support Black folks, specifically Black women and femmes and femme passing people, you know, like you were mentioning today in the state of Georgia, a movement, a shift that was led by Stacey Abrams and other Black women. When Black women win, the world gets better. The world becomes a better place for everybody. So we need to be able to have an understanding of um, centering those people who have been made most marginalized as our focus for collective liberation, period. So what are some, um, and I'm sure that you detail this in your book, but what are some 
spiritual practices, and they don't even need to be spiritual because as we already discussed, spirituality is a microcosm to the macrocosm. But what are some practices that you have either that you use that you recommend for others to use or I will also invite you to say what are some practices not to use if that is something that you have also come upon because I obviously there's a lot of just there's a lot of bullshit out there (laughs) yeah um so it really I mean I have the practices that really work for me and I really invite folks to be embodied and figure out what it is that works best for them in a way that again is constantly honoring the um, practice itself the community and the roots of the practice so um, breath work is really big and important for me prominent pranayama from my Indian ancestry, my Indian ancestors who created and cultivated that practice. Um, And that has been, you know, uh, shared worldwide and various cultures have taken it upon themselves to create their own ways in which that they utilize that. Um, Right. But it's the breath. It's a life force. We wouldn't be here without it. It's, it, it's, it's deeply spiritual and also just so purely simple. It's returning to our breath. It doesn't have to be in any specifically set out way. It can simply be the first thing we do when we get stressed is our breath, our, our breath shallows, right? We get disconnected from the breath. So like just taking. Yes. This is why it was very hard for me to quit smoking is because even yeah. though smoking is, is for real, even though smoking is like the worst thing that you could do long-term for your health. It was like a little, I was thinking about this the other day. Cause I was so stressed out and I was like, I need to breathe. And I was like, if I had a cigarette, I'd be taking some big fucking breaths right now. Mm, that's so but, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. now that, you know, sun cigarette, I have to carve out that same kind of like smoke break time. Yeah. It doesn't hit the same way, but yeah. And intentionally be intentional about our breath. It's really easy for us to be disconnected from our breath, which is to be disconnected from like our life force to be disconnected from ourselves or to take our breath for granted. Right. We're not here without breath. We don't exist. Um, And we all share the same air. So as became really strikingly clear, as became really strikingly clear when we all had to, yes, (laughs) wear masks and live in a global pandemic share that's airborne. So yes, absolutely. Like, uh, that's one practice that I come to repeatedly mindfulness practices. So, um, again, whether that's, um, culturally informed and appreciative forms of meditation, or I think there's many ways that you can meditate. I meditate when I cook. It's a form of me really diving into the thing I'm doing and being present. What are the things that allow you to be present in your body and in your space? We are conditioned to be disconnected from our bodies and to not be present. We are conditioned from young um, to betray our bodies also, especially for those of us who, you know, feel deep, we're all intuitive, but for those of us who feel deeply intuitive and empathic, like we are often taught to, to betray that the feelings that we have, um, or that because they're invalidated. So how do, how can we be present? How can we be in our bodies? And that can help us really have a better understanding of like, why am I having the response that I'm having? Where is this defensive defensiveness coming from? How can I, if I'm in my body, um, how can I better withstand my own discomfort and also the discomfort that might be coming at me or that is in my space? right? Because justice work requires a lot of discomfort. It, it is uncomfortable. It is inherently uncomfortable. And one of the pieces of spirituality that I would stray the fuck away from is anything or anyone who is asserting that we should be comfortable, that that is some entitled right that we have to comfort, right? Spirituality is not about finding a way in which we can be the most comfortable 
at all. Like we're in this human body and it also isn't about suffering. I'm not by any means um, saying that we need to suffer, that we need to constantly be uncomfortable. But for me, spirituality is facing our shadows and our shadows are in here. Like that shit is uncomfortable, right? Um, the full spectrum of, the, of our human emotions, grief, guilt, anger, shame, all of those things. And I talk about loving anger a lot in my book and righteous rage and the ways in which we need to re-embody that, reintegrate in the, the um, usefulness <laughs> of anger, right? And um, the ways in which anger has been really vilified. Um, and just because you're angry doesn't mean you're violent, right? And in a white supremacist society, those things have become one and the same, but they need not be. And we can really utilize our anger to know when boundaries have been crossed, to motivate us into action. Like all the protesters in the street, they're fucking angry. MLK, as much as he was whitewashed down, MLK Jr. was fucking angry. Gloria Steinem, pissed. Marsha P. Johnson, angry. Like anger and righteous rage is how we have created civil rights movements. It's part of how we have progressed as a society. And so if we're disconnected from our anger, we're also disconnected, not only from means from which we can move into action and create change for ourselves and others, but if we're disconnected from our anger, we are also disconnected from our joy. You cannot feel the height of joy and at the same time cut yourself off from the depths of your anger or your pain. It's not possible. Rachel, you are literally making me cry and I don't think I've ever actually had a a cry moment on the process of recording this <laughs> podcast yet. And I it's really haunting. I mean, it's really haunting the way that you're breaking it down right now, because to think about just the layers and layers and layers of oppression and mm -hmm. anyone who is not in the privileged position is not allowed to be angry. You know, like I've been ruminating so much on guns and, you know, guns being all of our white people in America being like so adamant about having their guns. But if a gun belongs to anyone other than them, suddenly it is a completely different type of a weapon, right? It is something mm -hmm. that is like, only white people can have gun rights. You know, it's, it's ridiculous when we think about it, but it's like no one else is allowed to have expressions of anger, things that relate to their own sort of like artillery, you know? And in my own body and in my own experience, I have spent so many years, you know, and not ancient history years, recent years, sedating myself, disconnecting from myself, mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. like listening to myself. I still don't get my fucking period. You know, it's been, I'm, I'm in my 30s. It's just still not happening from so many years of trying to, of not being in my body mm -hmm. and being mm -hmm. scared of what my body says and mm -hmm. uh, trying to reduce my body to, to nothing because right. I didn't want to have one, you know? And to think again, microcosm, macrocosm, to think about a singular body as the holding so much information about what society is and isn't doing at any given moment. And to think of what you're saying about, so all of this work starts from within, to be disconnected from your body is not going to help anyone do anything. No. <laughs> No. And I will say, <clears throat> I talk about this a lot in the book. The book is written to white women, but it's for everybody. And specifically, I'm, it's hard to do, but discerning between writing a book to white women that's for Black, Indigenous, and people of color, specifically for Black, Indigenous women and femmes and femme passing folks. But because the book is specifically to white women, the reason it's to white women is because no one has caused me more harm in my life than white women. And a lot of other black women um, feel similarly. Um, and I unpack that a lot in the book. And a part of that is because white women 
like you were saying, no one who has the most power and privilege is allowed to be angry. And so the less power and privilege you have, the less you're allowed to be angry. Um, and white women are also not allowed to be angry because it doesn't fit the Eurocentric ideals of femininity. You're to be meek and quiet and small, like you said, right? And all of these other, and, and, and white and pale and all, all these other things. But anger is not an, an allowed emotion for people in woman identified bodies under the patriarchy. And so white women don't resonate with their anger unless they can take it out on someone who is more oppressed than them, like black people. This is exactly why you see Karens out there losing their fucking minds on black children, black men and women. It is a redirect because y'all will not tap into the anger that you have about the system. You're angry at the system because white supremacy harms everybody, everybody, even cis white wealthy men, everyone. In the same way, like heteropatriarchy harms everyone. White supremacy, like I say, to me embodies all forms of oppression. It harms everybody to different degrees, depending on the identity or identities that you have. So white women are harmed by it. White women are not allowed to express themselves, especially not their anger. And the first person that they're going to take their anger out on when they get the opportunity to is someone that they can oppress or someone that they know feels sufficiently safe because um, society and the collective oppresses them. And so that is work for y'all to do. You need to tap into your anger and redirect that. Like you're not angry at blackness or black folks. You're angry at the ways in which you have been oppressed. And I talk about this a lot in the, in the book and have it needing to acknowledge and have an understanding of your, your role as oppressed oppressors. You are oppressed by the system and you are oppressing me and other people like me, all black indigenous and people of color every single day. And your work is to actively acknowledge that, figure out the ways in which you're perpetuating harm and do your best to mitigate it. Not to stop it because we're not perfectionists and that's not possible and we're all connected and we're all in relationship and we all cause each other harm. That's just real. But to acknowledge it, to repair harm and to mitigate it as much as you can moving forward. But this anger piece, this disconnection piece is fucking vital because so long as white women remain disconnected from themselves, white people in general, all oppressors in general, so long as they remain disconnected from themselves, <clears throat> nothing's going to change. We can read as many books as we want yeah. and nothing will I, I can I can embody that. Like I can physically understand that in my body yeah. because if I can't even sit with myself, then how could I possibly hold space exactly. for this work? Exactly. And how are you going to hold space for me as a Black woman being angry about a system that you perpetuate? You cannot. Your defenses will go up immediately. Your shadow side is like, nah, nah, bitch, we are not doing this because you refuse to even acknowledge your own emotions or what's going on for you. So how the fuck do you have any capacity? Going back to the early part of our conversation, empathy versus compassion, like you won't have either. You're, ch you're checked out. Totally. And so you're not showing up for yourself. And if you're not showing up for yourself, how the fuck are you going to show up for somebody else, especially somebody else who has a very different experience to you and somebody else that you actually cause harm to every day? You're not. Period. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, and it's interesting because disassociation, um, which is obviously, you know, it's like a mental disorder, but it's also something that is we kind of explore from a spiritual space, too, is piecing out, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's saying like, I can't deal with this. And of course, you know, the disassociation reaction is such a byproduct of trauma and is such a byproduct of being in like hostile yes. environments. Yes. 
and being like, I can't be here with my body. So then I flee and go somewhere else mentally and emotionally and spiritually. But this work, from what I understand from what you're sharing today, is so physical. It's so hands-on and it's it requires a a rootedness mm. to be able to withstand it. And mm. from a spiritual perspective, it's almost like finding ways to pull yourself back into yourself as opposed mm-hmm. to like, let me dip into these like metaphysical thoughts. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's both. And it's like, how right. do I remain embodied? Cause again, and we all have different <clears throat> understandings, concepts, perspectives, but for me, we are souls having a human experience and we chose to be in these humanly bodies. And whether you agree with that or not, we are humans and we are in humanly bodies. And so how do I stay grounded in my body? And at the same time, rooted in the fact that we are um, souls having a human experience and we are all interconnected, you know, and spiritually we're interconnected. And if that doesn't resonate with you physically, we are interconnected. And if you didn't believe that to be true before COVID-19, I really hope you understand that (laughs) now. And that is also, you know, even outside of like the climate crisis that we are all facing and up against, that is a ticking time bomb for our ability to remain living on this planet and surviving and thriving. So we are physically connected. Um, we are emotionally connected. We are spiritually connected. So how can I remain embodied in my human vessel and in the fact that we are connected and that my, the things I do or don't do in this human body impact myself and others, especially those who have less power and privilege than me. And the, the, the thing I think that's really important that sets my book and my work apart is, again, I'm like, you're not going to read a book and become um, anti-racist or overcome your internalized oppression. Like, that, that's not going to happen. It takes work. It takes really embodying what this is about and trying it on and practicing and getting curious about the things that will work for you and won't work for you and, 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 and facing your shit. And so my book, every single chapter has exercises for us to do to really explore that in an embodied way um, and in a way that is culturally informed, that is culturally appreciative of the tools that I present as offerings to be able to do that because nothing changes if we don't. Nothing changes unless we do. So my Angelou quote, I believe, nothing changes unless we do. And um, I really believe we have, my hope is that we really have, we have had many, 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 many opportunities for change as a collective. And we, this is not to say we haven't changed a lot because we have, but I will also say as someone who is seeing this exact same shit as some of my ancestors were saying in the 1600s, um, we also haven't changed at all. Right. Because if we are having the same conversations, it means that fundamentally we haven't changed. Exactly. So I do hope and believe that we have the opportunity to create the kind of collective critical change that needs to happen now. And I couldn't do this work if I didn't hold to the hope that that will happen. And I don't mean in my lifetime, I don't think I'll see it, but, um, but I do believe that we, we have that opportunity, whether we actually utilize it or not. I'm unsure. I'm really unsure. It will really take people who have the most power and privilege committing to doing work from the inside out and giving it up and all of us committing to showing up in this world in a completely different way. I really appreciate uh, your wisdom on this and sharing it here with me, with our listeners. And I think that it's now moving into, from an astrological point of view, Jupiter, Saturn, Aquarius, age of air, Mm. something that is really 
exciting to me is that for the past 200 years, we have been in the earth age. And (laughs) what happens at the end of the earth age is you get the manifestation of somebody who looks and acts and behaves like a Donald Trump and all of the people, 70 million people who vote (laughs) for him in this country. And that's what happens when 200 years of earth we have climate change. We have totally destroyed the earth. We have no idea how to have a sustainable life. Our mm. foods are fully processed and completely disconnected from the land. So the irony of being in earth for 200 years is that we blew it. We fucked it up. <laughs> so we're, but what's cool is that now we're at the age of air and I'm excited to, from the air perspective of communication, listening, storytelling, you know, Um, being able to kind of, not in a (laughs) horrible spiritual QAnon ascension way, but sort of Mm. lifting off from uh, the current status quo and being able to look at it from a different vantage and Mm. say, look at what you've done, you know, look at what is, look at what it is. Mm -hmm. And with that new perspective, hopefully that will make us a little less, like, you know, feel that hoardy, greedy, clingy, like I need to hold on to this because this is, this is who I am. This is the way life is. Hopefully with air, we can sort of be like, (laughs) blow some new movement in and say, it doesn't have to be like this. It doesn't have to, this is a choice. This is a very, very long choice of many, (laughs) many generations of people Mm -hmm. making the choice, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to continue. No, it doesn't have to be this way. I say this all the time. It doesn't have to, and we didn't have to get here. I don't feel like this was destiny or something. Like we didn't have to get here, Um, but we're here now. So what are we going to do about it? Like, what are you, every single person who's listening to this, what are you going to do about it? Right. And I think that, you know, something that we've already alluded to, but this microcosm macrocosm concept is also important for why it's important. It's critical that every single person do it because every single person is the representation of everyone who shares their identity, you know, everyone who shares those, you know, where they are in society and what privileges they have or don't have. It is, a, you know, each person is holding with them, not just themselves, but the macrocosm of that experience. So everybody needs to do it in order for there to be that collective change. So every single person is responsible for doing it. Absolutely. And, and that's, to me, like, that's how we create collective change. It doesn't come from just electing some people to represent us. Like how we do that, how we go through that process, who we choose to represent us, even the entire political process as we know it is a reflection of the collective. It's a reflection. It starts in the hearts and minds of people, right? Like race isn't scientifically real. It's a fucking social construct. So is gender. So when we can actually do the work from the inside out, that's what I'm saying. Everything can change. Everything as we know it. Like we don't, there's things that we think that were handed down by, um, you know, capital G-O-D or whatever it is you want to call that type of entity, like laws, right? Like one of the reasons why going to law school was like totally mind-blowing for me because people are just like, oh yeah. And then um, the reasonable and objective person. I'm like, who is this reasonable and objective person? There's no such person that's reasonable and objective um, who's going to look at me on the stand versus like a white man and and look at us completely the same. Like that is to be disembodied. That is to not be in reality, right? That's not real. Um, So all of these social constructs that we've come up with, because all laws are social constructs, right? They were created by predominantly like 
white men way back in the day and then just handed down over centuries to the point where people just are like, well, this is just the way that it is. We chose that. It doesn't have to, or certain people chose that, certain people who have the most power and privilege to ensure that people continue to have, those certain people continue to have power and privilege specifically to the detriment and exclusion of everybody else. It's very real and the consequences of, the, of, of those are very real, but they're socially made. And we have to acknowledge those things. Borders, like nations, socially made. Like the idea of a country isn't real. It's not real. We just all observe like specific lines that were drawn and are like, this is France and this is Germany, but like, it, it's not real. Right, and it's, it, it's a very much of a white person association. Absolutely. Well, it's ownership and, and exactly. And as someone who is born and raised in a, in a settler nation in Canada and similarly for America, like those nations only exist from exploiting, extracting, murdering, stealing, raping indigenous people. Right. And something that I think is just uh, really important. It, it, it was a poignant thing. And my understanding is I'm relearning so much history um, with not just from the white winner perspective, but from the real trying to get a fucking sense of what actually happened in the past, is that when the colonizers came to the United States and they saw the way that the indigenous people coexisted, they could not even comprehend the idea of sharing resources and not creating hierarchy based on currency. And that is so, to me, it was so poignant to sort of understand that, you know, how much white supremacy came in to this land and not even regarding, respecting, considering that there could be any other system that works than what you're coming in with and Mm -hmm. not saying like, oh, we've, you know, here's Europe, here's what's going on in this other land that we don't know what it is yet. And they're doing this, that we're doing that. Okay. It wasn't even like, we do our thing, you do your thing. It was, you have to be inferior because it's not our way. And the fact that that, you know, how imposed all of these structures were, if you go through the spiritual track, if you go through the political track, land ownership, any way that you find your way back through history, white supremacy is at the base of it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yep. It's frightening. It's real. And it's fucking critical to, you know, to follow the history back to where it came from, because when you sort of lay it all out, it's like, wow, damn, everything does need to change. You know, everything, every system needs to change because every system was built on violence. Yeah. And at the same time, there, every system as we currently know it and exists and has been hailed as successful and well-known to us in the Western world is built on that. And there are absolutely systems that exist outside of that, right? That were not based on or in white supremacy. And on Turtle Island, on in the USA and Canada, Mexico, Caribbean, like there are lots of, there's so much indigenous win- wisdom, so much indigenous wisdom for us to return to in an honoring way to have an understanding of how we uh, move forward outside of these systems, because it is possible. And learning how to move forward um, and cultivate and create systems that we have never, we have never lived within because right. none of us have lived within them. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's not possible and that it shouldn't happen and that, and that those systems aren't going to be more supportive, more beneficial. Yeah. What I ask people to do in my work, in my book, in life 
is to envision a world above and beyond anything they could ever imagine feasible now. That includes me, right? Like we, I do this work all day, every day, but I still operate within the same system that everybody else does, which is an impressive one. I'm, I'm in it. I live in the society. I'm not outside of it. So I need to do the best thing that I can do to try and envision something completely and utterly different than the systems that they, that, that currently exist from within the system. It's incredibly hard, but like incrementally, the more inner work we do, the more we shift and awaken and align and figure out completely and utterly new ways of being and existing and living in the world. Yes. I, I'm so, so grateful to have you on here, Rachel. Um, thank you so much for, for sharing this with us today and where can our listeners continue to find you and, um, get to know your work. Yes. So um, my website is www.rachelricketts.com. I'm on Instagram that I have a love-hate relationship with at I am Rachel Ricketts. Um, And I really encourage listeners to grab my new book, Do Better Spiritual Activism for Fighting and Healing from White Supremacy, which touches on all the stuff that we've talked about today. And like I mentioned, has um, soul care offerings, as I call them, at the end of each chapter to help people really dive into this work further. If you're feeling really uncomfortable um, or some type of way about anything that we've said, and or if you feel totally aligned with everything that we said, equally, the book is for you. <laughs> <laughs> the book is for everybody. Yeah. But I also, I, I just, I'm, I'm so grateful that you're writing a book for white women <laughs> because it's, it's, I know that that could not be an easy thing to do. And especially considering the content of what your work is about, I'm, I'm really excited to read it. And I, I'm so grateful that you're out there doing this work. And I am so determined to play a continuously evolving role in what it means and how I can show up and how I can use these different platforms to create that, to create that change that we need to see. So thank you really from me as the microcosm and I'm, I'm excited to see what Age of Air brings. Mm, thank you so much. Appreciate it.